I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Speaking about connectedness, I noticed uh, that about 10, maybe 15 people the most are calling in. Uh, but there are so many listeners. I would very much appreciate if there is someone who would like to call uh, with a question or a comment, but something makes them uncomfortable. Please write to me. I would like to accommodate you in any possible way. You can write to Dr. Peter Resnick at gmail.com. D R P E T E R R E Z N S N N C I K at gmail.com. Uh, also, I would like to remind you that this is the third show of the month. The last the fourth show we usually dedicate to night dreams. Uh, and if, of course, you prepare your night dreams, if you dare to make a call, um, that all depends on you. I keep kind of pushing this night dreams story, but you know why. You know that I believe that it's the most valuable body of knowledge a person can acquire and work with the night dreams. If you don't feel like calling, uh, you can still work with your night dreams. You can go on my website, drpeterresnick.com, under articles and download the article called Dream Work and work on your own. It's really a manual, step-by-step -step manual on how to work with your night dreams and how to engage them. Uh, if you want to call with a question or comment regarding the subject we're discussing today, you can call at 888-874-4888. But first, a little show and tell. Frankly, this morning, as I looked at my notes to prepare for this meeting with you, ladies and gentlemen, I realized that I did not have a story or a poem for my show and tell part. I said, well, to myself, we'll do without show and tell today. And I went on with my routine first, prayer, you know, exercise, breakfast. Then I spent an hour and a half uh, supervising a student and then saw a client. And just as I said goodbye to my client, a story came to my mind, show and tell, probably because the client I saw had some guilt feelings about being not always respectful to his mother when she was alive. So though this story came to my mind. Once upon a time, my mother was upset with me. I think I was uh, 10 or 11 years old. Honestly, I was, and my sister will not permit me to lie, and my sister usually listens to these shows, but I was a good kid. I didn't have uh, problems in school. I was respectful. Uh, my parents were not called to school for bad behavior. Uh, I, and I did not go through what Americans call here teen times. I, as a teenager, I was just a regular kid. But I remember that when I was, it was approximately probably 11 years old, uh, my mom was upset with me. And I remember she said, uh, I will never forgive you. 
And I was a little seducer. Whenever my parents would get upset with me, I wouldn't just get upset back, but I would look in their eyes and try to seduce them. So I, I said to my mom, Mom, looking in her eyes, uh, is it really true you will never forgive me? And my mother sat down and made me sit down and said, let me tell you a story. Once there was a woman whose husband died and she raised her son working very hard, raised him on her own till her son grew up, became a wonderful man. And it was time for him to get married. And indeed, he found a bride. They got married. And of course, like in old times, they moved into this house. And the mother was very happy that her son got married, and she gave him them, uh, the new couple, new bed, uh, the, her bedroom, and she moved into a smaller room in the house. Everything was wonderful, but in six months, the young bride started not feeling well. Uh, as days passed, she was feeling worse, and. Her husband was very distressed and started asking, what is it? What is making you so unhealthy? And one morning she said, you know, during the night spirit spoke to me and said that I am sick because your mother is living in this house. I know you love your mother, but you have to make a choice. And the man became very sad. But then he spoke to his mother, explained to her situation. And the mother said, no, no problem, my son. There is this old uh, house at the edge of the village. I can move into that house, fix it up, and I will be just fine. I want you to be happy. No? And the son moved his mother, helped her to fix the house. And now he lived happily with his wife. But few months later, his wife again started not feeling well. And he said, what is it, my dear? What is not well with you? And she said, you know, a spirit came to, my, to me at night and said that my illness will not go away because you are visiting your mother. And you go there and your heart is there and your energy is there, and then you come, you're half man. You need to stop visiting your mother. And the man became sad, but yet he went to his mother, explained to her the situation. And his mother said, I love you so much, I want you to be happy, my son. Go in peace, I will love you from the distance. You don't need to visit me. And the man went home to his wife, and they lived happily for six months, and then his wife became ill again. And now her husband was desperate, and he said, what is it? Now my mother doesn't live in the house, I don't visit her. What is it that makes you ill? And his wife said, I'm very sad to tell you, but this night the spirit came to me and told me that your mother is alive, and for as long as her heart is beating, I will not be well. I need to bury her heart in our backyard. So unless you take 
kill your mother and take her heart and bring it to me, I will never recover. And the man was very, very sad. He went to his mother's home and explained to his mother the situation. And his mother said, I love you so much. Do what you need to do. I will always love you. And he took a knife and pierced through his mother's chest. He took out the heart and went on his way home. As he was walking, he was very sad. And suddenly he stumbled, he tripped. And the mother's heart cried out, be careful, my baby. Don't hurt yourself. That was the story my mother told me. At that time, she was crying and I was crying. Of course, I would never show her my tears because, as my brother taught me, men don't cry. But that's the story. But I understood what my mother told me, that no matter what I do, I'm always loved and forgiven. And those of you, ladies and gentlemen, who are parents probably can relate to this story. But uh, I didn't think about this story for many years, so I wanted to share the story with you. And it still moves me, frankly, to tell you. Anyway, uh, going back to our discussion of last week, we started talking about uh, healing the heart with mind-body integrative therapy or understanding the connection between the organ we call heart and the issues of the heart. That is, what is in our heart, what's on our chest. I think I told you about the study. I started by telling you about the study uh, in Massachusetts. Um, I will not repeat it now, and it's in the last few maybe five minutes of the last week's show. If you're interested, you can listen to it. But here is another study telling us about connection between our body and our mind. And remember, I'm not only interested in telling you about studies. First, I want to demonstrate to you how powerful the connection is. And then we'll talk about tools we can use to strengthen that connection and to resolve the issues of the heart. Dr. Friedman of Stanford University studied 1,035 patients who had a heart attack. He found that 98% of them exhibited what they call type A behavior. All patients, 1,035, were divided in three groups. One was simply examined by a physician. The other group was advised on diet, body weight, and exercise. The third group, in addition to diet and body weight and exercise, was taught how to alter their attitudes and their behavior. All patients were followed for five years. When statistics was finally examined, they found that the group that received information on a diet and exercise had half as many heart attacks uh, than the group that did not receive any instructions. But the group that was taught how to change their attitudes and behavior had one-third 
of the heart attacks compared to the quote diet group and one quarter of the heart attacks compared to those who were just examined by a physician. So we're talking about 75% of heart attacks could be avoided if people changed their attitudes and behavior. You probably have some people who are angry in your life and some people who say, it's me, you take it or leave it. Well, it's not a good answer. Because if a person chooses to stay with this attitude that the world owes them or stay with their resentments and anger, that's not a good sign. That's not a good prediction for their well-being. In another interesting study, researchers of University of Cleveland studied 10,000 married men who had elevated cholesterol, high blood pressure, and diabetes. They all were at high risk of developing angina. It's a chest pain. They were asked one question. Does your wife show you her love? At the end of five years, the man who said yes, that is their wives showed them their love, had half as many cases of angina compared to people who had no. Is that incredible? Very simple studies. I, I love these simple studies with large groups of people. You cannot, you cannot deny the results. More about feeling loved. In Sweden, 17,000 men and women at the age of 29 to 74 were followed for six years. Those who were lonely and isolated at four times, that is 400 times, a 400% higher risk of dying prematurely. I repeat, those who were lonely and isolated had 400% higher risk of dying prematurely. Social isolation, emotions like loneliness, uh, keeping anger, holding on to hurts and guilts, have a direct relationship with uh, occurrence of cardiovascular disorders. So the question, of course, is how does one address these issues? In our society, where we are taught to be proper, to be nice, we are not even aware often that something is bothering us. For sure, when I, a particular uh, population that is older than 40, 50, uh, and I'm 68, and I'm telling you, I was taught, I was trained uh, by my brother. Uh, in fact, I remember the, the phrase, Resnick's bleed, but don't blink. So you don't show pain, you withstand it, and basically you pretend that everything is fine. I believe I worked on it and I'm able to express my feelings and, uh, and my frustrations to share with where I am, with friends uh, and not friends, to not accept what is not acceptable. So, uh, but a lot, I find that a lot of people keep feelings inside. In, in, in Russian we say, 
people are divided in two groups, people who uh, get ulcers and people who give ulcers to others. Neither is so good, uh, but the same thing is true for heart problems. Some people explode and unload whatever they feel on others in some violent possibly ways and give heart attacks or ulcers to, to other people and some implode and the implosion uh, is devastating. It's devastating to the body. Uh, it, it causes muscle aches, uh, causes heart problems, digestive problems. I think I mentioned to you a book by Blair Justice, Who Gets Sick? And he quotes hundreds and hundreds of studies linking feelings, our feelings to negative feelings to, to virtually every physical illness. So the, our feelings are not necessarily the only contributing factor to illness, but most of the time it's one of the major uh, factors. So let's think about, let's talk about concrete techniques that we can utilize. First, you understand what's going on by listening to your own language or to, to common language that people use. Like when people say, what's on your chest? It's something is on your chest. Something is bothering you and, and it literally is bothering your heart. That is, it's not in, only in your head. Like that, that's a very offensive thing people say sometimes. A person shows some symptoms, goes to a physician and the physician says, no, you don't have a problem. A person comes back home, says, no, that doctor didn't find anything and the person with whom uh, a person who went to the doctor shared this says, you see, it's all in your head. Yes, it's first of all, it's not in the head, it's in the heart. And then it becomes the body. And very often with the technology that we have now available, we, doctors are not able to pick up that which has already happened energetically and the person begins to feel symptoms. So if you feel that something is bothering you, if you feel any discomfort, uh, hard to inhale, rapid heart beat, high blood pressure, you need to ask yourself, what is on my chest? If you have chest pain, so you can then close your eyes, you can do this as an exercise. Uh, please, if you want to participate, Put everything aside and close your eyes. And then lift your dominant hand and put the index finger on your chest. And see what or who appears in your consciousness. It may be an image or just awareness of someone or something that is pressing on your chest or on your heart 
or squeezing your heart. Whatever happens, just become aware of it. Then release the push, release, put away your hand, and just engage that object or that person. Engage meaning negotiate with the person. Find a way to make peace. If it's an object, do something to it. You can have it being taken by the wind, you can bury it in the earth, you can sink it into the ocean, you can burn it with fire. But if it's a person, find a way to resolve an issue. And if it's not resolvable, say to this person that you choose to take him or her out of your chest and do it in any way you can do. Take this person out and see swarms of the flight coming from above and taking this person out of your chest. Then open your eyes. And by the way, I, I don't want you to feel any uh, re reluctance, ambiguity. If this is a person who you love, and you may feel reluctant, oh, I don't want this person to leave my chest because, you know, I love this person. No. What you, what you are allowing to go or to be taken by beings of light is your frustration the negative feelings, the pain regarding this relationship, not that person himself or herself. You have to understand it. Because it's your pain that has an appearance of this person. Because the negative feelings are connected with that person. And your consciousness showed you that pain and it has a face of that person. So you're not eliminating that person. You are eliminating, you're saying goodbye to that pain. Now you will say, but then how do you negotiate then your life? It's easier if, if what is in my chest is some stranger or someone I can avoid. But what is if a person I, I love? Well, my answer to you is, you can love this person, but remember that whatever they do is their story. Each person has their own journey. Each person has his, her own hills or mountains to climb, challenges to overcome. Most of the time when people are not nice to you, aggressive, angry, it tells you about them tells you everything about how they live in their life. Don't make it your story. If these people act in a certain way, in an appropriate way, it's their way of being. And let's say if it's your, your child, you will say, it's maybe they're very nice to everybody else, they're not nice to me. Okay, so it's their way to deal with their parent. It's a soul, it's not just you did not make them this way. 
that's a lot of people feel guilty because oh I, I made this person it's my child where did I fail what have I done what have I not done you did the best you could not by a chance that this person came into your life came through you you couldn't give what you didn't have you gave what you knew the best that's all and now it's their journey and if they choose to be unkind ungiving vengeful this is their own individual journey it's their spiritual journey and they may or may not in this lifetime correct it so you look at this person as a as a person who is struggling and then you feel compassion for them okay let's go to the next exercise if your life is overwhelming too many things happening and you feel there is never time not enough time i've seen these people are running too much too fast and then suddenly the time stops because they're brought to the hospital with chest pain or heart attack god forbid so you need to create a healthy pace of life you can do it through your will by making a decision that you will live in an orderly way giving yourself breaks giving yourself an opportunity to enjoy the fruit of your labor not only work 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 but also you can do it from inside that is you make it impossible for you to act in this addictive way of being let's say workaholic by doing for seven days an exercise calling uh, called changing the pace of life so you s- close your eyes breathe gently and evenly and see yourself in a speedboat going fast dashing through water hearing only the roar of the engine hear the sound and feel the pace now make a conscious decision to turn off the engine turn it off and now see and feel the boat slowing down there are oars in this boat there are oars as the boat slows down and almost stops you take out the oars and begin to row gently you hear the splashes of the water as the oars go into the water you smell now the water you look at little ripples in the water enjoy the ride then open your eyes and you do this exercise for seven days and now if you have something on your chest 
uh, you may you may not be aware of what it is that is on, on your chest but you are not settled you feel unsettled this exercise is a little longer so prepare yourself Say to yourself in your mind, I'm doing this exercise with an intention to free myself from worries, concerns, and all that does not belong in my life. So breathe out gently three times, long, slow exhalations, nice and these inhalations. Breathing out twice as slow as breathing in. And now see or sense stairs, a staircase leading, going down. You go down and then there is a turn to the left. There is a long corridor and you walk along the corridor, there is a door at the end of the corridor, and there is a sign on the door called Unfinished Business. Don't go in. First make a decision. That whatever you see there, whatever you find, you will either address it right there or learn about it and make a commitment to finish that business in the days to come. Now breathe out gently one time. Push the door open and go into the room. See what's there. Now, deal with each issue in the way that you feel is appropriate. Remember, you can, everything is possible in the world of image. You can resolve things to your liking, or you can negotiate it in any way, or you can make a decision of how you will finish the business when you are finished with this whole show today. When you're all done, go out of the room, and there is a key, like old-fashioned keys. Lock the door and take the key with you, knowing that you can come back to this place if you need to deal with more issues. Then come back to this room where you are and open your eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, I took you through three exercises and I think, or four, I think. At this point, if you would like to share with any of your experiences, if you have questions, Please call now. 
this would be the right time to call. Most of the time when I give these exercises in groups, uh, now through internet and in the past in classes in person, people would go around and share with their experience because I usually have comments to make. Something needs to be corrected, Something somebody may need help. So please call 888-874-4888. I give you a chance to call. If not, I will continue talking. But you're absolutely welcome to call. Nobody's calling. Okay. Um, well, if nobody's calling, I will go back to the next subject. And next subject is a continuation of finishing up the big, big journey that we started. And that is the six pillars of well-being. Basically, what I attempted to do in the last two years is to share with you all the tools that I believe people need to live healthy, productive, fulfilling life, healthy mentally, emotionally, and physically. If you remember, uh, I spoke about six pillars of well-being, and all we have left now is only one pillar. Uh, we covered physical environment, physical reality, with all the aspects of it, sleep, food, uh, environment in which you live, uh, exercise, rest, and then we spoke about our conscious uh, feelings toward ourselves and others, um, feelings that we are aware of, um, our self-talk, then we also spoke about uh, social conditioning, then we spoke about our conscious beliefs and attitudes, and unconscious beliefs and attitudes. When we spoke about the unconscious beliefs and attitudes, and I don't remember now what shows there were, but I took you through a lot of exercises to make that which is unconscious, conscious. And then we went through 23 different conscious beliefs, attitudes, and character traits that we are to transform if we find that we're dealing with those problems. And we finally, finally, two weeks ago, finished all the conscious beliefs and attitudes. And so what, what we have now is the final pillar of well-being, and that is moral and spiritual reality. Uh, I realized also something, and I told you that I have this, I'm, I'm writing, in the process of writing it as a book, Six Pillars of Well-Being, but I already have it as a, as a audio program, a video program. But I realized that something was incomplete. Uh, and that is, when I spoke about social conditioning, I did not cover, I spoke about conditioning that comes from the outside and how we act uh, 
toward our in, within our environment, toward the environment, and habitually how we act toward ourselves by being conditioned by uh, the family that we belong to, we grow up in um, our immediate environment, our school, our um, extended family, our social circles, then the whole society, and how that those societal and familial uh, attitudes affect our physiology and our psyche. But what I did not cover uh, is relationships. And I believe in the book I will include relationships as part of social conditioning, because the way we interact with in our relationships has a, have a lot of has a lot to do with with conditioning or maybe I even I should think about it maybe I should make it a separate pillar because the relationships are so important we human beings are social creatures and I repeated it many times already the quality of our lives depends on the quality of our relationships so uh, maybe when we're finished with the six pillars, when we cover um, moral and spiritual reality, I will have a separate couple of classes, or uh, <laughs> I call it classes, a uh, couple of shows talking about relationships only. I did speak to you a little bit about relationships because I know, I believe I posted on my website actually love treaty and i encouraged you to go and download it love treaty uh, where you and a person you're in a relationship with whether it's your spouse your friend your mate your child if you have any issues any challenges within the relationship you both study love treaty and then you sign it and you make a commitment to follow it. But that's just only one small element. It's, I would say, maybe one twenty-fifth of my whole program called Making Relationships Work. So I will talk much more about relationships in the future. But now I want us to finish the sixth pillar of well-being, and that is uh, moral and spiritual reality. Dealing with this, I'm, I'm looking if, if anybody calls. No, nobody wants to talk. Okay. Dealing with these moral and spiritual realities, uh, more than in addressing any other subject, I must speak to two distinctly different groups of people. And I know, my dear listeners, ladies and gentlemen, I know there are people from these two groups among my listeners. One group consists of people who are either religious or spiritual. Let me clarify what I mean when I use the word spiritual. It is people who do not necessarily follow any religion, but do believe that there is some kind of higher intelligence that underlies the fabric of the universe. The other group consists of atheists who believe that 
all this uh, religion, spirituality, are just stories. They're stories about intelligence, about creator. They're productions of our mind. And our lives and our universe are simply subject to physical laws. And I have respect to all of you, ladies and gentlemen. And I, of course, you know by now that I believe that uh, life is meaningful. There is connectedness between all. Uh, and I believe in what we call God. But if I am to respect my, my beliefs and my right to believe what I believe, I absolutely have to respect your right to not believe so, first, let me do this. Let me, first I will speak about moral values, because the subject of moral values applies to both groups. And then, those who are not interested in hearing or exploring the spiritual aspects of life can go and have a cup of tea or coffee, and then join us uh, to get the last assignments and my final word frankly i don't think that we'll be finished with the subject of moral and spiritual values uh, today so i think that we'll be taking a break till next next week oh next week yes we also will be dealing with uh, night dreams again if you, <laughs> you decide to call and if nobody calls by the way uh, talking about night dreams, I will stop bothering you with uh, reminding you that last show of the month is night dreams, because it doesn't seem that people are too interested in doing that. So, um, just as keeping ourselves physically clean protects us from getting our body ill, moral values, principles and standards that are created for protecting lives of individuals within the community. Which means, I am about to say that there would be no need for moral values uh, if you lived on an isolated island by yourself. But as, well, as I was about to say this, I thought actually there are still moral values in your, in, your relation, in your relationship with the world around you. Do you litter? Do you uh, kill a mother of an animal seeing that there is a little baby that she is nursing? So there are still... Do you um, kill for fun to entertain yourself? So, so I take it back. So there are still moral values, even if you're living by yourself. Evolution Institute, I believe it's located in Florida. Evolution Institute arise. Converging lines of evidence from game theory, psychology, and anthropology suggests that morality is a collection of tools for promoting cooperation. That's nicely said. But if we take in regard what I said about relationship with the world outside, 
I would say, cooperation, not only between human beings, but between an individual and his or her environment. Though the, the values vary in different cultures, most cultures in the world, and I'm quite certain that anyone is listening who is listening to me right now belong, belongs to one of those cultures. Most cultures in the world share the same basic principles, the same basic values. In fact, at one point, I believe maybe a few months ago, I, I send those to those who, um, who send me an email. I ask those who are interested to send me an email with a request, and I would send you, and I, I will gladly do it again, I will send you an email with list, the list of a core values. In fact, I, um, on that list, I actually ask people, there are 54 core, core values, and I ask people to choose out of 54, 18. And once they chose 18, I want them to look at this 18 once again and distill them to 10 and make it their own 10 personal 10 commandments, personal 10 values that they will live by. And remember that this 54 that I wrote are only an example of core values. You can add of the values you feel are important. Then choose those that you are ready to commit yourself to and follow. Uh, I do want to make some recommendations about the implementation of those values. First, I found that it is useful for people in the beginning of the year to examine or re-examine, re-evaluate their values once a year and recommit themselves to following the list of values they chose to live by. The important thing is super important. And again, you can choose where, when your year begins. For some people, it's Christmas. For some people, it's 1st of January. For some people, it's... Um, the Hebrew New Year that starts uh, after Rosh Hashanah. Whatever it is, choose when, but you choose one day when you examine your values. And it's okay to change your values. You know, sometimes people say in, in kind of offensive way, you changed. If somebody says to me, you changed, like in a negative way, I say, thank you. That's a compliment. We need to change. We need to examine, re-examine our values. Particularly, we may have a lot of things that we value, but not willing or ready to follow. So it's better than, than rather than being constantly frustrating with being frustrated with yourself and trying to pursue 
and follow 20, 30 values, you choose 10. If you cannot choose 10, choose five and live by them. But I want to say, once you chose that day, when you re-evaluated your values and recommitted yourself, then absolutely never change your values in between till the next year's evaluation. I tell you why. Suppose among your values, uh, you make a commitment loyalty. That is, you, you will never start a romantic relationship with a person who is already in a committed relationship, or you are in a committed relationship. So you will never start another relationship, okay? But, but let's think about this. You are bachelor, you're by yourself, but the person uh, is, is in a relationship. But you already made a decision that you are honest. You know, starting a relationship with someone, it's called adultery. Starting a relationship with someone who is not, who is not available, really, who makes himself or herself available, but they are already in a relationship. That's dishonesty. That's what it's called. It's, you can call it cheating. But let's say you decide that you're, you're not that person who will live by then. And then somewhere in the middle of the year, you meet someone five, six months later, you meet a person who you are attracted to. And you quickly recognize it's mutual. And then you find out that this person is in a committed relation, or for some reason is not available. Uh, and let's say then you find out that their relationship is dwindling out. It's almost over. It's over logistically, but not legally. Whatever the story is, but it's not over. Then since this particular value is on your list, I am telling you immediately, your first voice will be not to go into this relationship. Stop there. You understand? Don't begin to make up because the second, third voice, the voice is what, what I call the, of the debater inside of you, will begin to justify, oh, but this person is suffering. Oh, they're almost separated. No. You make the commitment you don't enter the relationship. The universe is sending a test to you. Do not change your values. And you may ask, what do you mean, your first voice? I, I, I think I spoke about it already, but if you want to know, it's the voice of your intuition. You can go on my website, uh, and on the articles you will find an article called Intuition. And I teach there clearly how to follow your first voice, how to get in touch uh, with your intuition uh, and how to get rid of doubt. And I'm telling you, if you made up your mind at some point in, your, in the year and then you dare to break your own commitment, I am telling you, during the year, if you are about to make that break, that betrayal of yourself, I am telling you, your first voice, 
your intuition will immediately tell you, don't, don't do it. And don't. Don't. Because you're betraying yourself, you're betraying your values. Most of the time, it does not, if not all the time, does not end well. So let's go back to our situation. The moment you recognize the situation goes against your value, you, you have to walk away and, but be honest. I be honest. That's all. That, that, you, that you stay with your commitments. That's all. Uh, and then you decide the next year when you reevaluate your values, you may be proud of yourself for sticking to your values or you have to change your values. When we go against our values uh, or against universal values, like, like, look, there is a universal value. You do not kill your mother. You do not rob your family. Some people step over those values. But most people will agree on some values that you do not break. You don't cross certain lines. So we, I, we all know what is good, what is right, what is wrong. But in the moment we can be swayed. In the, in the moment the voice of the, the debater inside of us can whisper in our ear, yes, it's okay. Always go back to the first impulse that came, first physical sensation, jolt inside of your body that said no or yes. Uh, in, in fact, what comes to my mind is what John Atkin, Atkinson, I believe, said. If you don't run your own life, someone else will. If you don't run your own life, someone else will. So for you to run your own life, you have to have clear values and stick to them. Now, the second recommendation about living by your values, be considerate. Though true to your commitment, always be aware of what impact your actions may have on others. I, I will give you an example. Many years ago, uh, I spoke to a woman uh, who was a liar. One of the big problems she had is when she was lying. And she had a lot of guilt about lying and so on, so on, so on. And finally she understood, she agreed and understood that she has to come clean and stop lying. And at one point she said to me, okay, I'm committed. I will come clean in one situation that I felt bad about. Fortunately, I asked her what was the story about and she told me that um, that two days before before her best her best friend her girlfriend got um, married she actually slept with the groom and i asked how long that ago that happened and she said many years ago it happened like 10 years ago and I asked her if the couple is happy now. She reported that they're happy, they have, they're married for now all these years, and they have uh, two beautiful children. Of course, I, 
dissuaded her from making this kind of uh, correction. She would come clean, she would relieve her guilt, but she would probably destroy a happy family. I said to her that she needs to kind of apologize to herself, to God, and let it go. So you, even though you need to come clean and you need to be committed, you always have to remember what impact whatever you do has on other, other people. Uh, my third recommendation uh, regarding your values um, was expressed actually best by a German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who said, the freedom of one person comes to an end where the freedom of another begins. Do not try to impose your values on others. Do not expect other people to understand, to follow, or to appreciate your choice of values. Live your own authentic life, examining your own values on your own. Do not, you don't owe anyone to follow their values either. And if somebody asks you about values and you, you do share, and they say, why this, why that? Never explain why, because they may have a greater ability to debate and they may persuade you to abandon your values. The best answer is, I don't know. It feels right. Nobody can tell you stop feeling. If something feels right, you stick uh, to what feels right. I think that our time is now coming to an end. Um, uh, we'll, next time we'll continue talk about, and talk about the spiritual path uh, and how to deal, how to uh, follow your spiritual path and how to live the best of yourself on that spiritual path. Uh, but for now, just consider, uh, this is uh, important for everyone, I believe what I said, and I believe that I, I didn't say all that needs to be said. It's just what came to my mind. But please feel free uh, to add, to contribute. You can call in from the beginning of next, the next show, or you can write me an email, again, drpeterresnik at gmail.com. You can write your ideas about moral values. Uh, if you want me to send you the list of values, again, send me an email, and I gladly will do this. And I want to wish you a wonderful week. Be happy and peace to all who want to live in peace.